Hello and welcome to Bitcoin with Jake. Today, I'm very proud to have my first guest on the opening of this project, Mr. Knut Svanholm. Welcome, Knut. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. Yeah, it's absolutely epic that you've taken the time to join me. So thank you very much. To, to kick things off, um, and as I mentioned briefly just offline before we started, I am extremely interested in people's personal journeys to Bitcoin. And I'm going to just give a shout out. I've got your book here, um, Sovereignty Through Mathematics, which I finished recently. And actually your second book I've also finished. And the third I haven't yet uh, ordered, but I will do. Um, undoubtedly formative in my own journey to the space that is Bitcoin. So hopefully we can get into some topics about what brought you to today. And um, yeah, I'm hoping we can we can explore all sorts of stuff. So just to, to take things from the top, Knut, could you give us a brief introduction to um, yourself and the projects you're involved in today? Well, I'm Knut Swanholm, and I've been in uh, Bitcoin since, uh, since I don't know, really. Uh, I, I took an online course after having been crypto curious uh, <laughs> for a couple of years. Uh, in, in 2016, I, I finished an online course at the University of Nicosia, Cyprus. And wow. uh, I thought uh, to myself, what am I going to do with all this knowledge? And you could extend the course. Uh, uh, it was a university course, but, uh, but, but a short one. And you could extend it and take a full master's program. Uh, with quite a, a large cost attached to it. So I decided like, uh, uh, well, I, I don't really have the time for that, uh, nor <laughs> nor the money for it. So uh, I'll. Uh, what am I going to do with all this newfound knowledge? Uh, well, I'll, I'll better start writing something. So, uh, and I had a boring job at the time uh, as a captain on a small crew transfer vessel to a wind farm in the Baltic just uh, southern Denmark, a wind farm outside the coast, uh, just near the coast. And that job uh, was basically just taking rig climbers or turbine climbers, um, a bunch of British guys, uh, and it was me and a Danish uh, second mate, took these guys out, took like half an hour to get out to the, to the, to the site, dropped them off at a turbine, and they climbed up the turbine uh, and they... Uh, hang down lines from from the nozzle uh, at the top of the turbine uh, and down on the blade the turbine was stopped at the time and they were inspecting and cleaning the blade all day so what we did we took the ctv to another turbine moored uh, um, <laughs> uh, and we were moored uh, at that turbine um, uh, for the rest of the day for like eight to ten hours every day and we just oh. waited, waited to take them down again and bring them ashore. And of course, we weren't allowed to go ashore ourselves because of, uh, if anything happened, we were the ones, uh, basically, we were on standby basically all day, mm. which, which my brain is not very well suited for. Uh, <laughs> I realized quite early on into my, uh, for those of you that don't know, I have a, a background in, in, uh, sailing and uh, ships <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I've got a, a master mariner's degree uh, before that I studied for a year to become an uh, uh, electronics engineer but I dropped off after having done the maths courses the uh, 
uh, I, I was so bored with school. So I dropped off and I started working on ships instead, which eventually led to a career in, in shipping. Uh, and uh, uh, well, while out at these moored to a wind turbine being bored all day, uh, I started writing articles about Bitcoin. And I had just read uh, Skin in the Game by, by Nicholas T Taleb, Nassim Taleb. Uh, and uh, uh, that book had a, a huge influence on me. I, I thought, am I going to do this under a pseudonym? Or, uh, but having read Skin in the Game, I thought, uh, fuck it. Uh, I'm never going to excel at anything if I don't have uh, something to lose. If you don't have anything to lose from, from doing something, you're... That's the basic theory of that book, by the way. So, uh, so I decided to to do it under my own name and start started writing articles, publishing them on Medium. Uh, quite soon after that, I, I uh, ended up in a publication called Hacker Noon, uh, and I was very excited about that at the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, little did I know that where I would be uh, five years later. In the Bitcoin space, but but you know, everyone starts somewhere, and uh, uh, I, I continued writing articles, and I wrote this one just before the uh, the Segwit uh, uh, soft fork in 2017, uh, where oh, no, rather before the um, proposed 2x upgrade hard fork. For those of you that don't know, there was a a uh, split in the Bitcoin blockchain in 2017, which was, I described it as a crossover between a train robbery and a, a Christmas present. Uh, because every Bitcoiner got Bitcoin cash airdropped. And the sooner you sold those, the better, uh, the better off you, you were. Uh, because they, uh, right now they're worth almost nothing compared to Bitcoin. But at the time they were worth about 0.2 Bitcoin each. Uh, I think even a little more than that, like the four, uh, a quarter of a Bitcoin at some point. So, and I realized that I had a huge opportunity there, there to, to claim this airdrop. So, uh, so I started studying, uh, <laughs> like I wasn't very um, technical at that point. Uh, I'm still not very technical, but I'm more technical than I were, th than I was. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I uh, realized the best way to teach myself how to do it is to write an article about it and teach others. Because in my experience, you don't uh, until you can explain something uh, in layman's terms to 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 someone else, uh, you don't really know what you're talking about. Like the, uh, that's a great way to learn. Uh, to try to explain it in layman's terms to someone else. So I wrote an article about how to claim your private keys before the uh, hard fork. And that uh, got a lot of attention, it got like 70,000 reads or something. So uh, uh, I, I thought to myself, hang on, there, there might actually be something here. I, I, uh, uh, I should continue doing this. And I had experienced uh, a work of mine going viral before that because we made a rock video that ended up on the 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 homepage of the uh, the pirate bay if you know what the pirate bay is like the the torrent site the infamous torrent site they had something called the promo bay for a while where they promoted local bands by by letting their videos 
uh, be on the uh, when you uh, when you surfed into uh, the pirate bay, you, uh, the landing page. Our video showed up for for three days in a row, and wow. the the, v, the views kept kept rolling in, and I was pressing F five, <laughs> being bamboozled by the experience. Uh, so uh, so I thought to myself, maybe uh, and. We had we had disbanded the band at that point, and I thought I I I'm a creative person. I need to do creative stuff. I need to create like music or or texts or whatever art. <laughs> uh, I have a need for that to to express myself. So I thought maybe maybe this is it. Maybe I should start taking writing about Bitcoin a bit more seriously and uh, keep on doing it. So I did that for a while, uh, which led to me eventually trying to uh, make a book uh, and self-publishing a book. Uh, and the first book I did uh, as an experiment was a collection of the articles I had written up until that point. Uh, so I did that. I compiled the articles into a book, called it Three Minute Reads on Bitcoin, and uh, uploaded it to Amazon and uh, yeah, then I had a book published, uh, and I I brought this book to. I remember I went to a crypto conference in 2017 called Blockspo in Stockholm to see uh, one of my idols at the time, uh, <laughs> the infamous Richard Hart. <laughs> well, wow. then I think he turned into a shitcoiner that night when. Mm -hmm. uh, he said so. I talked to him, and he said something along the lines, "I want to do this uh, altcoin thing too. I want to make money out of this." And if I could jump in, the uh, the the artwork yeah. behind you, Knut, of Darth Vader and jumping to the dark side, is uh, very on point yeah. for me to jump in and mention at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, for yeah. those those that'll be listening on the pod, it's um, Knut's got a very impressive picture of uh, Darth <laughs> Vader behind him on his Zoom call. Yeah. So yeah. Richard Hart, he really turned a, turned a corner at that point, didn't he? Yeah, and this was just after the crash of 2017. So it was a big hype before this conference, and then this big crash happened. And I brought my little book, and I uh, like five copies or something. Hit everyone, hit everyone around the head with it. <laughs> yeah. But there we go. Every, I felt like the only Bitcoin maxi uh, at that conference. No one else, uh, every time, everyone thought Bitcoin was dead and blockchain technology was the new thing. Wow. So, so it was a room full of scammers and uh, gullible people and opportunists, lost opportunists. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought it was really depressing because where are all the Bitcoiners? Am I, the only, am I a dinosaur? And all of these thoughts around, uh, went through my head. But, uh, but having you know, studied the thing and realized what it was as qu at quite an early point, I, uh, I stood my ground. I never turned into a shitcoiner. I mean, I invested a, a total amount of $10 in shitcoins. I had $1 in each shitcoin in a, a, one of those multi-currency wallets. Sure. And then like two of them went up and the other eight went down. And I thought, well, this is a complete waste of time and money. I can never tell which ones are going to go up and which ones are going to go down, uh, measured in Bitcoin terms, of course. So I, I, I sold them all and stuck to Bitcoin, and I've never regretted that, of mm. course. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so that was my first conference experience 
but then I had this book attached, attached to my name, which I I wasn't too proud of uh, it, because it was basically a collection of articles that no one had edited or proofread or anything. So it's just a, a, an attempt <laughs> at something. So I thought to myself, I better write a proper book about this. I mean, this this space, th there aren't very many books in the space yet. And like, I think I have a unique perspective and I ought to write something more proper about it. So I started working on sovereignty through mathematics uh, uh, on New Year's Eve 2018. And I, I promised myself to write a page a day uh, for the entire year uh, as a New Year's resolution. Uh, and I kept the promise for whenever I, I missed out on a couple of days, I, I, uh, I wrote more pages the day I actually started writing again. And I kept the promise for uh, 106 days. <laughs> wow. And then I got bored with it. And <laughs> like all New Year's resolutions, so you're bound to break them sooner That's or later. better than most, Knut. Most people give <laughs> yeah. up after about 10 days. Yeah. Yeah, I managed three months, so uh, <laughs> a little more than three months. But then I thought, uh, yeah, this is this is done now. I can I can publish this, uh, and I published one chapter, I think, and then I got a, a someone to help me with the proofreading because there were a, a lot of errors in the book. Uh, yeah. I mean, the the main reason I started writing in the first place is I I wanted to write about a complicated subject in English just to to, to test myself and see how good I could get at it, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's hard. Uh, it's hard to write in, in uh, uh, my second language and mm -hmm. about a, a, a subject as complex as Bitcoin. But it's very, I mean, uh, you're your thinking becomes more clearer as you do it. As I said, explaining something in layman's terms to, to someone else is like the best way to, to, to learn, uh, to learn something for yourself. Anyway, I um, published Sovereignty Through Mathematics in uh, like uh, June of 2019, I think I, or May maybe. I, after having written these 106 pages, I edited it and put it out there uh and sorry uh, Knut, just to take a step back you said new year's 2018 you started working on it and so by june 2019 you you then released it so 18 months or yeah. just six months six months six new months. year's eve uh, new year's yeah. eve ah uh, got you yeah okay. not new year's day <laughs> yeah 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 okay yeah. wow okay wow so within six months having said okay this is my task yeah. you had a you had a published book it's fantastic well, self-published. Uh, there wasn't that much to it, really. No, no one else was involved or anything. And in the beginning, I sold like zero books, <laughs> or like, <laughs> like maybe ten books or something, and nobody gave a shit. Your ten mates like, in the pub, yeah, yeah, something like that. So uh, I thought. Uh, then this opportunity came along. Uh, Bitcoin Honey Badger, two thousand nineteen, in Riga. Uh, which was in August, I believe, or September. Uh, and uh, I was, uh, pl I had planned on going to Riga anyway in my, in my uh, job. I was the crew manager for this uh, uh, shipping company at this point. Or maybe I wasn't the crew manager yet then. No, probably not. 
uh, so I, I was an HR guy, basically, and there was a Manning firm in a Manning company in uh, in Riga, which I had planned to visit for quite some time anyway. So I, I told my my bosses that I, I need a ticket to Riga and a, a place to stay for these couple of nights, and I'll go and visit this uh, uh, Marine uh, Academy and and this Manning company. So I did that and they paid for everything. And of course I went to the Bitcoin conference uh, <laughs> since I was already there. Yeah. And uh, uh, and I met all of my heroes from, from Bitcoin Twitter. Uh, and I had bro brought uh, 50 books there, 50 copies of Sovereignty Through Mathematics, of which I, I sold about 25 of them and gave the other 25 to some key people like Saifedean and... Mm -hmm. Dan Held and Tone Vase and whatnot, <laughs> whoever I bartered book with books with Jimmy Song and you know, mm. uh, and met all of these people and started to realize that this is still quite a small space and we're quite new all of us in this and no one, no one gets to be an expert here by by showing a certificate or a diploma from a university. It's all a meritocracy. So your what comes out of your brain is what you get judged by in this space. And I find found that very uh what's the word? Very refreshing. Uh compared to my regular career where where merit uh didn't matter that much and it was more about you know a fiat career you're your, your CV matters a lot and your uh, whatever university course uh, degree you have matters if you're going to do this or that. And this was like the opposite. It, degrees didn't matter at all. Uh, what your, your, your skills matter <laughs> and nothing else. Uh, so uh, after that, sovereignty to mathematics started taking off uh, at, and sold better and better. Uh, and uh, I um, yeah, I was surprised by that. I didn't think my little book would would have such an impact, uh, but it but it did, and it one thing led to another. And uh, I wrote the second book like a year after uh, during my vacation here in Spain. Uh, so I wrote uh, like as much as I could every morning. I wake up two hours before the rest of the family usually. Mm. So so mm. I wrote it every morning. Uh, independence reimagined that it's my second book and mm. uh, uh so and there's a lot there <laughs> you, you want the long version of the of my story no uh, no we, we keep going for sure i just finished yeah. um independence reimagined i loved it it's yeah great. yeah the, you know the cover is fractal encrypts full node statue the art piece there i didn't know that uh, uh, and that came to be because i saw the first time i saw that piece uh fractal encrypt had uh posted a little video on on twitter uh from a, an art gallery in miami and i noticed the word sovereignty through mathematics on one of the circles uh, mm -hmm. around the statue so i dm'd him and uh, or tweeted at him and said like do you know that this is the title of my book and he's like yeah man i was listening to it while while i made the statue wow wow so, and we've, we've been friends ever since and uh, i have uh, cooperated many times since the first uh, first thing he was he was to design the cover for this book but then 
uh, I thought the, the 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 statue was so beautiful, so we just used that, and he was okay with that. And now, years later, he's. Uh, uh, his infinity key is on the cover of the new book, Everything Divided by 21 Million, because he made these beautiful art pieces uh, just before Bitcoin Infinity Day, which is a Bitcoin holiday that we just invented out of thin air, uh, because the 21st of August is like 821 in the American yeah, way nice. of writing dates. So that's like well, Bitcoin is, Bitcoiners need a holiday. I mean, come on, let's give them. Yeah, one we need new day. Bitcoin holidays. Yeah, and like, yeah. I'm going to promote the hell out of this one. So, uh, <laughs> uh, well, that's the first part, part of my story. And then I, I kept on writing after Independence Reimagined for, for Bitcoin magazine and for a, a plethora of publications, especially a Citadel 21 magazine, which is mm. Hodlonot's uh, publication. Mm. Bitcoin fanzine or whatever you may call it. And one of the articles I wrote there uh, uh, was called uh, Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. And I, I, I wrote this while feeling quite sleepy uh, one afternoon, uh, falling asleep on my, on my couch. And when I was done writing it, I fell, fell asleep right away. Uh, and I woke up and I didn't really bother to read it again. I thought it was so-and-so, the article, but uh, I wanted to, to uh, at that point, I, I had an article in almost every Citadel 21 magazine. So, uh, so I sent it to Hodlinot anyway, not thinking too much about it. Uh, and it got published. And then uh, Guy Swan did a reading of it on the Bitcoin Audible podcast then known as the crypto economy podcast by the way <laughs> wow. uh, uh, so uh, uh, then i went to a a meetup in copenhagen because the, the shipping company i was working for had a, a an office in copenhagen mm -hmm. uh, uh, close out by the airport and i walked into town and back it's quite a long walk so when we we had this uh, great steak dinner uh, yeah, shout out to all my friends in Copenhagen uh, and on the way back uh, was the first time I heard this um, heard my article uh, or the first time I read it after after having written it and in it is this phrase uh, every, imagine everything there is and everything there ever will be divided by 21 million uh, and I <laughs> I thought to myself hang on this isn't this isn't that bad, really. This is this is sort of it's one of the better pieces you've written. You're on to something here, Knut. Uh, <laughs> so uh, happy about that. I went back to the hotel and, and fell asleep. And later on, uh, Yoni Appleberg, another uh, friend of mine in the Bitcoin space, and and also a guy that I've been following for quite some time. At that point, he uh, we started collaborating, and he made an animation of of uh, of this article and that took off and the as you know this everything divided by 21 million meme is all over the place now and mm. it's 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 one of the more popular memes in the space uh, memes in the space and of course i had to write that book as well mm. so so that's that's the book i'm uh, releasing now um, official release date is the 21st of april but I'll bring uh, 300 books to Miami. I'm bringing 300 books to Miami and uh, looking forward to, to selling them and giving them out there as well. Yeah, yeah. That'll be, a, that'll be a mega, mega event, won't it? 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, it will anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, with the risk of being drowned out by everything else yeah, uh, spectacular. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'll be in the bazaar uh, on the uh, the second and the third day of the conference at two o'clock, uh, from two to three, signing books. Awesome. So that's that's where you'll find me if you're going to Miami. Awesome. And uh, yeah, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing everyone there. Of course, I mean this this whole thing has been a surreal ride uh mm. bitcoin has and the bitcoin community has given so much back to me so i'm i'm just uh, i've never encountered people like this before anywhere else in life it's just mind-blowing uh, when i think back of all the help i've gotten from uh everyone in here i'm i'm just uh, <laughs> Well, look at me. I, I I quit my managerial job and I'm doing this full time now. So uh, I, I wouldn't have been able. Yeah, it's it's so. Uh, That's fantastic. I, so full time Bitcoin writer. Have, Bang. Yeah, I still have to pinch myself that it actually well worked. Yeah, but it, so I that's mean, my that's well, my Bitcoin story. Yeah. Well, we're going to pick apart loads of it. I love it. Um, can I, there's there's no way that anyone can say that there wasn't a fair bit of proof of work involved in that story. I mean, so when was the day you were able to say goodbye to your your fiat job and and go full time doing this? Uh, May of two thousand twenty one. Uh, okay, so about twelve months ago. Yeah. Yeah, right? about yeah, like, roughly. Yeah, it's yeah. almost a year ago now. Yeah. Absolutely uh, epic. But but I didn't. Then I had like three months more I needed to do, and I stayed for a like an additional month after that. Okay. I didn't really. I was still working until uh the last of september and then some in october as well so yeah. I, I didn't really i didn't really start working on the new book until november uh uh because after mm. uh you know i took the liberty of uh taking some vacation uh, oh, absolutely my old job no, as well. you have to do it and so and, uh, for, to that, you know, so a, a huge part of the writing process is just walking around trying to get ideas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, it's trying, it's getting harder and harder to, to get original ideas in this space. Uh, and, and, you know, you can always come up with a metaphor like Bitcoin is uh, a pillow, or Bitcoin is a, a lion, or Bitcoin is whatever. Uh, but to have some substance in the ideas, like, you need your own way of looking at things and uh i think i've i think i've found my my niche so to speak uh yeah. in uh uh I, I try to lay it out in the new book that one one of the theses is in uh, in the new book is that the double spending problem isn't really solved until after hyperbitcoinization <laughs> uh and also, and there are a couple of other ideas, like big ideas in the book. And uh, regardless of whether they're true or not, I think they're worth they're worth uh, thinking about. Um, so, yeah. could you, if if I could, um, it's kind of bunching two questions in a one into one in a sense. But um, first of all, I'm really intrigued to explore a little more in like your writing and 
how you come up with ideas. So you just mentioned walking around is a really good idea. But perhaps before we get into that detail, can we rewind back further than 2016, where you started your story from? And, you're, uh, yeah. you know, you're bored on a boat doing your job. <laughs> um, I think many people can, you know, we, we go to work to get paid at the end of the day. We've got families to feed and whatever. So perhaps you could just talk a little bit to the, the characters um, that influenced you or the characteristics that you have. And I'm guessing that you've been very inquisitive throughout your life. Um, and that perhaps tendency, you know, you saw this thing, cryptocurrency, you did the course you mentioned you were in Cyprus or whatever. Um, you, I you wasn't in be... Cyprus, it was online. But Okay, the, the <laughs> online course, excuse me. But you, you wouldn't be in that situation if you weren't inquisitive. So perhaps you could just speak a little bit to your nature or, or, or things you've recognized in yourself over the years that maybe helps you become who you are today. And then equally, just let's dive into like how you come up yeah. with ideas, what lens you use to write about Bitcoin. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, I, I see a lot of myself in, in my in my eldest son, uh, or I only have one son, but a son and a daughter. But he, he's 10 years old now and he's very inquisitive and he wants to understand the world around him a lot. And uh, I realized I, I, I'm like that too, and I've always been. Uh, so I, I grew up on the countryside and occasionally in uh, other countries. Uh, we lived in, in Mozambique and Tanzania at some points in my, during my childhood. Uh, my, my father had an international career. And um, after that, I, like, like, uh, I didn't do too well in school because I, I thought school was pretty stupid. Uh, and uh, I had a hard time, uh, you know, <laughs> I had a problem with authority, let's put it like that. And uh, I didn't like, really like being there. I, I liked some of the subjects a lot, uh, especially the, the, the harder the science, the more I liked it. So ma maths and physics, and to a certain extent, music was a, uh, I, I like those a lot, but the social sciences, I could never really wrap my head around them because it didn't really make sense to me. Uh, uh, and you can imagine uh, growing up in social democratic Sweden, what education was like. We were hammered with uh, that viewpoint, like uh, everyone's equal worth uh, or equal value was very important. Uh, uh, we we weren't, weren't supposed to ask what value is in the first place, and that is a personal thing. That uh, yeah. Anyway, after after school, uh, I managed to get into this uh, uh, electronics engineering thing in a uh, also in a small town close to the small town where I where I lived at that point, uh, but dropped off after a year uh, after having done the maths courses. So, so I've done the, the uh, you know, Bachelor of Science University courses in maths. That's, that's how far I got, like linear algebra and analytics, whatever they, they're called. Uh, but after that, I, I, this was also that like, uh, I needed to, to carve my own, carve out my own path and, uh, uh, my, my father had been in, in, in shipping uh, and been a captain for a long time. And uh, uh, my hobby was sailing these traditional uh, 
hundred uh, year old ships wooden two masters <laughs> uh, uh, so 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 that's what I decided to do like try try to be get a, a diploma from the Marine Merchant Academy and become a sea captain. Uh, and in order to do that, I needed to, my, my grades weren't high enough, so I needed to do some work first to get into a, a group that, that had some uh, experience because the, it was easier for me to get into, to get into the university that way. Uh, so that's what I did. Uh, and my, my two big hobbies uh, were, were playing music and sailing, basically. So, th so that's what I did for a very long time. And then I got my degree and uh, we built a music studio in parallel to, to getting the degree and so started recording music, all the DIY stuff. Uh, and then I got a job at a tall ship, which is a, a huge, like uh, a square rigger, a bark uh, uh, with, high school students on board so so it's like a a part of their school uh schooling is, is to sail around the world with uh, on board this uh, bark this full square rigged ship so that's where i worked as an officer for for eight years uh and the the, the downside of that was that the the, uh, the vessel was a bit too small in order for me to get the the higher certificates so that I could become a master on, on bigger ships. So, so I never really got there, uh, but I stayed there anyway, because I enjoyed it so much. I got to see uh, a, a lot of the world. I, I've been to like 40 different countries uh, just in my sailing career. And, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot, you know, uh, being in the sun, uh, crossing the Atlantic and watching some dolphins and philosophizing and like, I enjoyed that lifestyle. But of course, this was all before I got my family because mm. I didn't really need money. Um, I, I had everything I needed. I had my guitar and my laptop and uh, I was sailing around the world and eating good food and meeting interesting Happy people. Days. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's partly why, why we're in Spain now instead of Sweden, because I... I uh, coming back to sweden i couldn't really stand the darkness and the cold i, I mm. need i need the sun and you know i need to live in a in a a, a lighter place mm. <laughs> um, but anyway that's that's what i did until i got uh i i met my wife on board this ship by the way she was a watch leader and i was uh, the officer and uh, yeah she she had nowhere to, to run <laughs> uh, romance on the high seas yeah exactly so uh but then when we got when we got our our, our kids I, I i realized quite quickly that i i needed something i couldn't be away for two months and then not work for two months it didn't really mm. work out for me uh so so i needed to find something something closer to home and then i found this um, ctv business and uh offshore wind uh, uh uh we were working two weeks on and two weeks off there instead of two months on and two months off like mm -hmm. on the tall ship 
<laughs> because on the tall ship, once I had to sign on in uh, a place called Punta Gorda, Belize. Mm. So I had to fly to my uh, fly to London and then to Miami and then to Belize City and then from Belize City down to Punta Gorda. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> my my uh, my boss at the time had said, uh, I'll, I'll call you in London with the details about Belize City and what to do there. But, but I never got that call in London, so I didn't. I didn't get a hold of them, so I, I stood there with my bag in Belize City, don't, not knowing what, where to go or <laughs> to ask about anything. And then a guy shows up with a handwritten boarding card, and I'm to board this uh, little propeller plane with like uh, sixteen people on board, wow. <laughs> uh, and flying down south over Belize, over the jungle. Uh, at like 200 meters uh, up in the air or something. Uh, wow. Yeah, stopping at some gravel roads, uh, <laughs> picking up some package uh, here and dropping off someone there and eventually getting to the ship. But uh, on the whole, that that sort of thing became a, a bit too adventurous for, yeah. for a young father. So... Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I knew I needed to switch careers. And eventually I, I started working in the office and uh, had my little office career there. And then this Bitcoin thing happened in parallel to that. So, so that's where I am at this point. Uh, so that, yeah. If I may, um, uh, it's an adventurous personality that finds themselves on a small plane, like we, you just mentioned. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, there's, yeah. you'll have many friends, I'm sure, who are back in the town you grew up in that, are very comfortable doing what they do and that's what they'll do for a long long time yet to come and there are other yeah. people that decide that's not what they're interested in doing and yeah it's, it's very clear to me anyway that a lot of people that i meet in the bitcoin space have this similar sense of like adventure and exploration and yeah asking questions and, and okay yeah fuck it let's just get in a small plane with a little piece of paper from a bloke that i'll never see again you know that somebody wouldn't do that they'd be like what uh i didn't get a phone call and oh this is all right no i'm not listening yeah. you know I mean? um whether that's, yeah, but that's careless that's the thing other question of course but I, I love that sense of yeah fuck it all right let's have a look but that's that's the thing people have the wrong view when it comes to taking risks because they they always see the risk in in doing something else than what they're doing right now mm -hmm. but they don't see the risk in getting stuck stuck in life and doing the same thing your entire life. And to me, that's the scariest thing of all, to mm. just get stuck in a mindset and not, not evolving, for lack of a better word. Mm. Uh, not getting anywhere, but becoming an average Joe in some, some town somewhere and then waste 70 years and then die. Mm. Uh, like... What, what was the point then? Like, you, you, life is not a rehearsal. You have one life. Uh, you better do something with it because, you know, the clock is ticking. Uh, I, I talk about this a lot in the new book that the scarcity of our, life, uh, of our lifetimes, that that's what Bitcoin is such a perfect representation of. And that's why, I mean, we value things because our lives are short. If if we had an, an unlimited amount of time and we were indestructible, then we could always postpone every action till tomorrow. We wouldn't have to do anything. Uh, in other words, we wouldn't have to value anything. Mm. 
mm. wouldn't have to choose one thing over the other ever. The, the scarcity of our time is the only thing that makes us value things at all. Mm -hmm. So, so to me, that's the great philosophical insight here, or, what, or one of them that this is such a perfect uh, representation. One of many, of, in a sense. Um, yeah. So, my initial question was kind of two pronged. One was, you know, what type of characteristics do you feel you've um, portrayed in your lifetime? And I think you told some nice stories there that that might lead us down a, a couple of suggestions. But the second half was then around the lens that you use to write through, and you've just touched in here a very you know, 21 million, there's 21 million Bitcoin. That's it, right? Fixed supply. Like none of us really, until coming across this new technology, understood what that meant. You know, digital scarcity, a once in a ever kind of invention, um, as you so nicely write. Um, discovery. Yeah, discovery rather than invention, true. Yeah. Um, the, the lens that you use to write through. So this, this kind of realization that actually your life is, it's not a rehearsal, to quote yourself just then. You, you have a scarce amount of time. How does that then make you value things and look at what to do with your life? Perhaps you could just talk a bit more about that. Like, that's obviously one uh, discovery that you've had, shall we say. Um, yeah. Talk a bit about that, perhaps. And also, you know, what else have you come across through your writings? And if I could go right back to your introduction, you said it was hard. It was really hard writing this for the first time and understanding how you thought about something and getting it in paper. I'd love to hear some more yeah. around that, please. Yeah, you you said something about proof of work. Uh, uh, Correct. As, uh, yeah. But so I I guess I have a body of work behind me now, but it none of it felt like work. I did it all because I wanted to. Mm -hmm. It's it's I've not been doing any of this because I felt forced to, or maybe a bit here and there but very little of it uh it's more like i had a an urge to do it uh and it's very satisfying to be doing something that you have an urge to do like if you can make a living off of doing something you love to do then you, you've hit the jackpot basically so uh, uh and, and that's a, another insight uh, it all connects to time like i think everyone sells their time too cheaply i if you're going to give your time and attention to someone else you ought to get paid for it uh, <laughs> you ought to get something in return paid some sounds a bit harsh but you ought to get something in return for it and that's something maybe you know talking to you now for instance you don't really have to give me anything in return because i i find it valuable to do this uh, and that's the thing. I think we, we trade with ourselves and we trade with each other all the time. That's all we do. We trade. Mm -hmm. We trade our own time uh, and we trade our own time with others and with our future selves. Mm -hmm. that's, that's all there is to life. It's, it's a trade. Everything's a trade-off. Mm -hmm. And like money is supposed to be a representation of that uh, trading. And w whenever you use a, a shit coin... Um, or, uh, you know, I categorize shitcoins into two main categories, kleptocurrencies and cryptocurrencies. And the kleptocurrencies are the fiat currencies, the cryptocurrencies are the altcoins. So I would say whenever you use a kleptocurrency, especially like your government issued currency, you are, you are giving some of the value of that away. 
in every transaction you do. Every damn transaction you're giving, you're funding someone's uh, irresponsible spending somewhere. Uh, because if if I do you a favor and you do me a favor back, no one complains about that. And there's no, uh, but yeah. as soon as we use a medium of exchange uh, in the form of money, a third party always think that they have the right to to some some of the value of that transaction, and it's so weird to me. Why why aren't we just allowing people to help each other? Uh, and it all boils down could, to money. If I, could, if I could jump in just then, so you and I exchange a favor, we're happy. So there's a a barter that's taking place in a sense, and value is exchanged, and we're both comfortable with that exchange. But yeah. with a, a money that then is inserted between us as a medium of exchange, there's then a third party involved. What do you mean by that exactly? And I'm I'm guessing you're going towards the fact that the issuer of said money is in control exactly. of amounts and therefore 21 yeah. million over infinity. But perhaps you could just dig into what that 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 really means for people. I, I say that like if money wasn't inflationary. No one would ever dream of blaming the free market for any bad thing that ever happened, because the only reason that bad act, bad actors, the bad things happen in markets is because the markets are distorted, the the price signals are distorted, and everything gets uh, like handicapped by by the by the very fact that. A, a single party has the the rights to issue more of the currency. There's like banks basically have the right to counterfeit money. That that's the reality we're living in. And that this is such a sad part of humanity because like when we talk to each other or when we like what we're doing now, we're we're bartering. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the the interviewer and the interviewee both feel that they have something to gain from spending this hour having this conversation so we're basically bartering bartering our services here mm -hmm. there's nothing else going on that's what we're doing uh and we both feel that we have something to benefit from it and otherwise this conversation wouldn't have taken place at all and it's the same with every transaction that ever made. Uh, whenever people trade, they they uh, they do so because both parties feel they have something to gain from the transaction. Otherwise, the transaction wouldn't have taken place at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and when that is distorted uh, by a third party that that can get some of the value of each transaction for free, uh, not only is the, the pricing signal distorted always uh, because we value stuff in the wrong way when, when, when we don't see the, the, the actual value of the transaction. But like when we do this, there's no third party involved and we know exactly what we're getting into when, when we say, yes, okay, let's arrange this meeting. We know exactly there's, there's, no, there's no magic force anywhere. Well, maybe Zoom is recording us and, and putting our faces in a, a database. So maybe <laughs> I'm missing something. Yeah. yeah, so the jokes are not. But anyway, the point here is that whenever there's a third party and they, they get to keep a part of the transaction, whether it be through taxes or through inflation, uh, those people uh, making money off of other people's uh, voluntary stuff can then spend that money at no cost 
which means that they can be irresponsible with it. So, uh, so that's the thing. That's why money needs to be expensive to produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bitcoin is the ultimate form of money in that way, because regardless of how valuable Bitcoin becomes, the issuance schedule stays the same. Uh, and the, the total market cap stays the same. And like everyone knows what's happening. So, so it's truthful while other currencies aren't truthful. And that's that's why we have problems in the world at all. I, I, I would take this very, very far. I, I mean, like the Greenpeace thing now, for, for instance, Greenpeace USA says that we need to change the code in Bitcoin because it's uh, bad for the environment. And they, they misinterpreted the entire thing. They're bad for the environment. Like uh, wanting to change Bitcoin, not understanding proof of work is by definition bad for bad for the environment because and the lack of work yeah because yeah, uh, ironically all... like, it's like you haven't done the work hello no otherwise you uh, understand exactly yeah exactly and all the other currencies need to get their credibility from somewhere so they also need a kind of proof of work and they have they have their own version of proof of work and it's war that's how you become the global reserve currency by having the largest army and having won wars. Mm-hmm. So, 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 and I preferred the peaceful way uh, to the violent way. We humans have but two ways to interact with each other peacefully or, or forcefully, like violence or, or speech. And Bitcoin is speech. All the other currencies have some violence attached to them mm-hmm. uh, because someone can, can take part of it against your will uh so that's it the that's why i love bitcoin because it's it it allows us to to uh, interact with each other without uh, without being stolen from it's it's quite a profound difference isn't it um and, and Knud, if i if i may when i'm uh reading your two books i felt like there was there must have been some history to your thought process when it comes to your ability to synthesize the state of politics today to the state of the the economies that we live in from a perspective of you know centrally planned versus totally free market and um it was very yeah. very refreshing to read to be honest because you fucking called it how it is and you suddenly thank, go thank you god you know what i agree this is bullshit isn't it <laughs> Hang on a second. And I, yeah. I encourage anyone listening or watching, you know, buy, uh, buy Knut's books, read them because they're really fantastic. Do you think Thank there was you. anything that happened, um, you know, this this nature versus nurture question I love so much, but yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. you know, you were you were studying, you were working in the different jobs you had, and there must have been a, a slowly um, like an ember, like a spark or something that took you down that more libertarian style thought process. And then perhaps Bitcoin came along or did Bitcoin instigate it? Perhaps you could talk a little bit about your your lens on the world in that sense and and and, and how you came to think how you think. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I'd love to for more people to 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 walk the same path as I have that, because I think there's, there are many, many people out there who are, you know, science oriented or like like the hard sciences better than the soft sciences and and to 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 whom the the world seems like a a place that doesn't make sense i mean every country i visited like we were in uh, 
with the tall ship we visited cuba uh, like four i think i've been to cuba four times and uh right after that we visited the us and the us and cuba had some to, uh, one thing in common and it's the bureaucracy it's as bad in the us as it is in cuba <laughs> and they're completely different political uh systems but mm. they're so alike because there's there's still a state and still people that uh, claim that they have the authority to decide uh, over other people uh, and that's like it, it's just another version of the same thing really and especially since 1971 since the last tie to the dollar uh, was clipped in the US when when Nixon um, suspended the the convertibility of the dollar into gold uh, it's been a planned economy since then the US has basically been a, a communist state since then and so you so can't many say people that. you can't call it no communism. no <gasps> You know, that, that's <laughs> yeah. often the, 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 the reaction these days to, to yeah, yeah. having thoughts. Like You're not allowed a thought like that, which in itself no. is so communist, right? <gasps> the thought yeah. police, you know? Um, very refreshing. No, continue with yeah. the way you were going. Sorry, I had to kind of jump in there because I see this all the time, you know? <gasps> you can't yeah. say that, you know? Ex exactly. Um, me being, you know, attracted to the... the how much mathematics and physics made sense i was longing for a, a theory about economics or about social interactions that made as much sense and i didn't find that until i found praxeology which is the study of human action the which is the austrian school of economics uh, uh, and bitcoin led me to that i had been i was aware of the mises institute before bitcoin but I hadn't really fallen down that rabbit hole. Uh, and Bitcoin showed me the way, especially, I have to give a shout out to Seyfedina Moose here, who wrote the Bitcoin Standard, which is still to this day, one of the best books in the Bitcoin Excellent space. Uh, right. And I, uh, uh, I'm i friends with him now. And, and like, when I read the book that was, yeah, <laughs> he was my idol when I read it. And like my favorite author uh, and... Uh, uh, but now I read all the works that he got in, that influenced him to write that, uh, Mises and Rothbard, and um, uh, I'm very grateful to him for for showing me uh, those thinkers. Uh, because Human Action by Mises is is probably the best book I ever read, and it's very thorough, and it's it, it you will see the world through that lens after having read that. It was like reading. Uh, Isaac Newton or something like some profound thinker that is sadly forgotten it made as much sense as mathematics and physics uh, praxeology is to the subjective what mathematics is to the objective so and when you got both worlds and you you can you can finally the puzzle makes sense and all the pieces fall into place and you understand why the world is the way that it is and why there's why there's so much pseudoscience and why there's so much you know so many snake oil salesmen and charlatans everywhere yeah everything starts to make sense and uh, unfortunately and for the state you 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 lose confidence in in politicians of the state while 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 discovering this new world so yeah what i'd like to do for a second is just dig into 
an example of what you mean. So um, is it possible to explain a, a situation you might come across in life where you know the human action lens leads you to believe uh, or, or how you analyze it differently? Like, could you just explain just a little more about what, um, what reading human action, how that made you think in comparison to prior is probably the way to think about it. Uh, well, it made me reason myself to uh, to use reason to to get to or, or common sense to 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 draw conclusions. I mean, Austrian economics is based around a few uh, axioms of thinking, that, and then just deductive reasoning on top of that. That's that's all it is. Uh, it's not like studying. Uh, the numbers and crunching some trying to crunch something out of that this is just plain reasoning and not like one of the axioms is man must act which we, we, we sort of touched on when speaking about uh, our lives being short and if we were immortal we wouldn't have to act uh, so given that we we won't survive if we won't, if we don't act we have to act and uh, another axiom is that we must always choose uh, one action uh, before another and another axiom is that we always discount the future so if we get a reward today that's worth more to us than a reward in the future which later on ties into everything about interest and, uh, and stuff like that and why uh, why we people with a lower time preference who can delay gratification do better in life at almost every other metric as well uh, but the main, main takeaway is that when, when a third party can leech, uh, leech off, off of your wealth by, by uh, playing a role in each transaction, by inflating the money supply, they get money at no cost. And when you get money at no cost, when you're spending someone else's money, you, you tend to be more reckless with it. Because with, when it's yours, and we, when, it ties back to skin in the game. When you, when you have something to lose from how you act, you will act more responsibly. Uh, and when you, have, uh, when you have nothing to lose, you can act in any way you want. And today we have all these politicians, which uh, they have, and, and uh, CEOs of big corporations that have absolutely nothing to lose uh when they waste people's money uh maybe they get fired but then they still have a like a million dollar salary for three months and and then i mean the the incentives have become so skewed uh so and uh it's so easy to waste other people's money that we're in a very very sad place uh, economically in the world and it's only going to get worse because you can't measure the the problems with with the system from within the system you can't detect it from it like a a goldfish does not detect if there's something wrong with the water around him until it's too late uh and that's what we're in uh we have no objective or until bitcoin we had no objective yardstick to measure the problems in the economy with so we use bullshit metrics like like GDP, which like included in GDP are, are sales of medication, for instance. And it's that how much medicine you sell is not a very good 
measurement tool for how how uh, well uh, a society fares you know uh, so so and there's so much so much going on there uh, i mean it's not a good metric at all and uh, because economics is not about what country does this or what country does what it's about uh, it's a personal thing uh, and if if you want to live a a, a healthy and uh, fulfilling life you shouldn't compare yourself to others you should compare yourself to to your former self like am i am i improving or not <laughs> like is, is is my situation improving and if it is and you you have little to complain about and if it isn't uh you're sort of the one to blame uh and it might very well be that you're not you you keep on falling for the same bullshit uh, as you used to that that might be why your life isn't improving so so the, uh, well i'm just spitting out many theories of in many different directions here but yeah, I hope that answered your question okay, it's, it's, in some way. Um, no, I feel like I'm connecting with you. It's absolutely epic to hear how you think. <laughs> um, Thank you. I don't have any problem with throwing out all sorts of different ideas. I get very creative as well, and I, I'll start throwing them back. But um, this conversation is about you rather than me. So I want to keep it on to that um, if I can. This concept of, of comparing self to self versus... Yep comparing to um you know that person at school that was just so good at sport or at university who always got good grades or your sibling who's always preferred by your parents or or you you, you know there's any number of different um i'm not good enough yeah. metrics that you can use um i'm i'm guessing that at some point in your lifetime you didn't compare self to self and you used to probably think quite differently was there ever a, a moment where you changed and is the Bitcoin rabbit hole having a profound effect on how you feel and how you think? And of course it will be, but maybe you could just dig into a little bit like how this, this concept might've changed yourself. I wouldn't say there was a specific point that changed me. I, I don't think that. Uh, and I've, I've been very competitive uh, especially earlier on in life, of course, as everyone is like in your 20s, you're more competitive than in your 40s, I guess. Uh, and what, whatever I set out to do, I wanted to, to test myself if, if how, how well I could do it and how far I could take it. And that includes like the sailing career and the fiat career and the music career and now the Bitcoin career. Uh, so it, it's all about like, and I think like pushing pushing yourself is is probably it's probably a good you know personality trait to have. Uh, it, there's a trade off there too, of course. I, I guess competitive people can be more difficult to be around. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, uh, <laughs> in certain uh, they're, situations, they're also they can be um they can be horrible to themselves. You know, yeah, they, yeah, and you can push and push and push and push until they have you yeah. know, attacks or or whatever the case might be. Yeah, and I guess Bitcoin has made me more comfortable in my own skin, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and like more stoic in a sense, like more 
I don't feel a need to to push the, I allow myself to procrastinate and, and be take it a bit easier uh, mm. than I did I think uh, I mean the, the 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 job at the shipping company was quite stressful and I, I had like 250 employees to to look after so like mm. there was always something I was mm. working all the time but uh, I tend to take my time more I, I know that I can push myself and it's good it's a good uh it's good to have that knowledge to know that you have in case you're chased by a tiger or something you have you have more you have a like uh a shot of adrenaline more to 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 uh, to use up in a in a scary situation but but i think we ought to slow down a bit and um like contemplate things more and and think things through uh everything is about uh, our attention spans are increasingly shorter uh over time because of because of how fast everything is moving and you know but if if anything i think bitcoin helped me to to relax for, for, i don't i don't know if there's a better word uh it, it made me able to relax more and and you know and could, could i are. ask um i'm going to slightly answer this question myself i'm i'm assuming that by adopting a deflationary asset as your reserve currency and understanding what low time preference means as a as an ideology is why you feel more relaxed um yeah if if those could you could you um uh embellish that a little bit like are those the two drivers yeah, let me. So, um, you know it's, it's very refreshing you know you mentioned you have some kids you're in your 40s uh, a lot of people would be like mortgage car lease taxes yeah. you know barely afford a holiday inflation is just about to absolutely kill them they are stressed like really stressed yeah and they're in a rat rat's race you're you're just sitting here going i'm relaxed man <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's incredibly cool so yeah could you talk a bit about that please yeah time preference Let, let's let's deep dive into that a bit let's do uh, that ex it's, explain it's that, my thoughts on the moment I, you understand that you're like yeah time preference cool. is a very underrated uh like <clears throat> aspect of how human beings operate uh when you have we all have a time preference and we all have different time preference at different points in time and the the key thing here is if if you're robbed of everything you have, like like a refugee who's been, uh, uh, all of a sudden there's a war going around uh, going on around them, and all their bank accounts have been frozen, and like they then they adopt a high time preference, which means that they uh, they focus on short term goals instead of long term goals because they can't do anything else. They need to find food and shelter in order to survive. So your main focus becomes finding short-term, uh, fulfilling short-term goals. And adopting a low time preference is when, when you have a stable political system you live in and you, you, uh, uh, you've accumulated capital so that you can plan ahead for the future. That's a low time preference. And that's the opposite of a high time preference. And I think that there's a strong connection between uh, 
how inflationary uh, the 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 money we use is and uh, high time preference because if if you're living in Venezuela or Turkey for instance which are hyperinflating countries then you have to use when you get your salary you have to use it as quickly as possible because the day after it might be worth half of what what it was when you got it so so the the more inflation the higher time preference of the people and I think that like it's like a scale from high to low. And I think high temp time preference is fear. And the opposite of fear, uh, as I see it, is, is love. Because when you, uh, when you don't fear your, your fellow uh, human beings, or when you fear them less, you can allow yourself to love them uh, so so i think uh, a low time preference is uh, and how much love there is in the world are on the same spectrum so like it's a, it's a scale from fear to love basically and you can allow you can allow yourself to love your yourself more if you have a lower time preference uh which in turn which i think is a prerequisite for loving others by the way I think if you're not comfortable in your own skin, you're 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 going to be hard to be around too. Uh, people, and yeah, it's that's why it's so sad that it uh, all the vectors are pointing in the opposite direction. Uh, more and more unpredictable political whims and and uh, short-term decisions, and more and more inflation, and it, it makes people more fearful and less loving. Uh, and that's what Bitcoin does to people. It fixes that and makes us able to, to uh, trust and love each other again. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which, so, you know, it, it, as you reach that conclusion, how can anyone say Bitcoin's a bad thing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just so see, ludicrous that a charity like Greenpeace is coming out and slamming it. So yeah, but that, that is... Isn't that what you're all... like? It's the total opposite what you're about. Or Yeah, but think about what, what, what kind of people joined Greenpeace in 2022. Uh, oh, no idea. It's people who are afraid. Yes. They, they, they are afraid uh, because... And, you know... I love nature and I love the environment. Uh, and I think that human beings ought to, ought to be more careful uh, around the environment. And I hate pollution. I hate anything that is bad for the environment. And that's precisely why I don't want politicians to address <laughs> the problem, because I think politicians do more harm than good. Uh, and I think these issues issues should be tackled by people who have something to lose when tackling these issues yep. and not people who can do it without cost yep. because that's what's causing the problems in the first place when yep. we have inflationary currencies we need to spend as soon as possible because otherwise our uh, our money loses value so we overconsume, and that is the problem that is the underlying problem every environmental problem humanity has can be boiled down to overconsumption mm -hmm. and that th there, there's only one cause for overconsumption 
and that is inflation, inflationary currency. It makes us spend more than we need to spend. I love it. And Knut, if I could share a little bit, a little of my journey um, at this point. So um, I was actually, um, I still am, in fact, in the shipping industry. So I work as a broker. Oh. Um, all right in the dry bulk space and all right uh from we have a lot 20, in common then <laughs> yeah from 2011 to 2016 i was largely based in singapore and i was the middleman between um mining companies and the factories of asia essentially so moving iron ore and coal around the world um i that experience i wanted to build from and you know our, our dependence on natural resources is extraordinary like the amount of stuff we're actually digging, moving and burning is like beyond belief. Like you, you, you know, it's, 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 they're mind boggling numbers. So I, yeah. I left that industry and I went into the startup space and was specifically looking at environmental sustainability and clean tech. And I basically, I did some angel investing. So very early stage equity investment in um, technology businesses back in London, looking for companies of the green future, essentially. And I, you know, the Paris agreements had recently happened and I was very convinced that, and still am, that regulations are going to increase. And with the regulatory increase, there are good investment opportunities. Um, Now, probably two years ago, maybe more, I realized that basically it's all bullshit except for Bitcoin. And that was largely driven by understanding the concept of time preference. Yeah. So I made um, 10 investments in 10 technology companies at very early stages, looking at, you know, grid flexibility for renewables adoption, looking at, um, you know, food um, repurposing into um, fuel and a bunch of different things. And all of them are premised on growth, extraordinary yeah. growth, right? You yeah. look at a, a startup investment chart and they're like, today we're worth 5 million pounds, but we're going to be worth 50 million within you know a few years. How? revenue growth okay where's the revenue coming from who knows government grants extra actual like sales who knows um but underneath all of this is actually as exactly as you explained it's it's premised on growth and okay well that's cool i think i'm doing my bit to help with the environment and i'm investing my money into early stage companies are going to make a difference blah 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 but it wasn't until I started really understanding Bitcoin that I'm like, okay, this is radical, but this actually might change things because no one gives a fuck, right? Everyone's going to make a whole ton of money out of clean tech, but they're not going to stop like carbon emissions or, um, you know, even if carbon emissions is an overhyped problem, putting that discussion aside, the point is, is that the, the economy that we function in today, the human actions that we take are completely corrupted by this um, high time preference theory, which is basically there's no point keeping your money because my $100 today buys me a pair of Nike Air Maxes. If I keep it 12 months, I don't get a pair of Nike Air Maxes. So I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend, 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 spend. And all the metrics the politicians are looking at, whether it's household debt, credit card debt, um, GDP growth, um, retail street, you know, high street sales. It's all about growth, 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 consumption, consumption, consumption. And even back yeah. in the shipping space, the metrics we were looking at was how much iron ore has been moved this year, how much predicted for next year. Is it going up? And it's all about growth. This year is 100 yeah. million tons. Next year, it's, you know, a billion tons. It's like, pff, yeah, this is, nuts. If- this is nuts. This is, this is just yeah. snowballing into more and more and more and more. 
Yeah, um, and we and that's, so that's yeah. Go on. You then read about low time preference and the adoption of hard money, and you're like, this is going to change shit. Now we can obviously then bring in the discussion about how, from a demand side response perspective, Bitcoin mining is the mecca for the energy systems especially when you want renewables adopted but that's a, another another discussion entirely but it's more just the philosophy of mankind when using bitcoin as a currency can uh, shift to high time uh, to low time preference become more relaxed as you've already explained you have been and that will change people's habits and behaviors not yeah. a politician who can print money who creates a regulation out of thin air and then doesn't give a fuck about it so yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you, and uh, I thought you might enjoy that that slight context, shall we say? Yeah, lo love it because this is precisely my thinking on it, and I describe it in the book as like uh, they're trying to put a, a band aid on a cancer, basically. They're okay. trying to cure cancer with a band aid because, like, all the policies uh, that are allegedly in place to to uh, to save us from climate disaster. They, are, they have to be funded somehow, and they're funded to more debt and more, <laughs> more yeah. natural debt, more personal debt. In other words, more inflation, more consumption. Mm -hmm. so, so you're actually doing the opposite of what you're saying you're doing. And that's, to, to, to quote H.L. Mencken, uh, the urge to save humanity is almost always a false front for the urge to rule. Mm. And without sounding too conspiratory, I don't think... By the way, I don't think most people are uh, like uh, are schemers and have this big over the, the overarching plan, uh, evil Bond villain sort of plan. I, I just think that incompetence is the real trickle down economy. Yeah. And it's it's in every aspect of society. And like Bitcoin and proof of work is the only real thing that incentivizes renewables. The, mm. the renewables that are there through subsidies only worsen the problem because the subsidies have to come from somewhere mm -hmm. and they can only they can only governments don't make money the people of each country make money and the government steals it and uses it to subsidize stuff mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. means that they're misallocating resources they shouldn't have been there in the first place mm -hmm. so so it it sounds good on paper but it all leads to more uh, uh, more waste and more destruction of the planet solar panels for instance they're great when they're economically viable. Uh, like if you put them in the Sahara, they're probably very good and might even be better than just burning the oil. But a solar panel in Scandinavia, <laughs> it might be good for you personally, uh, financially, because you, you get a lot of government subsidies for buying them. You get a rebate. But, it, yeah. but it's, it's cosmetics because you, they're made out of quartz and uh, coal, right? Uh, and aluminium all of these three industries they, they need a quarry to get the stuff out of the ground they need trucks to take the stuff to the smell to the melting plants and they need to melt it down at extremely high temperatures oh, and then they need to ship ship stuff back and forth the the net uh there's no net benefit to to the environment in making a solar panel it's a facade it's it's completely retarded to mm -hmm. think so and it's all done by people who, who don't know maths mm. <laughs> or physics, who haven't done the, like, and that's the sad part. All the people who are most uh, concerned about the environment 
are the least uh, likely to, to actually having done the math on these things and actually know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and that's so sad because right now, all these wind farms and all these solar plants, they're, 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 their main purpose is to get some fucking politician the the, the fucking vote somewhere uh, mm -hmm. and not to actually save the planet because they're not doing that. What we need in order to save, uh, we need long-term reliable energy. Mm -hmm. And I used to be, I used to love nuclear because of that, because it was a reliable long-term. But I've changed my viewpoint because from a physics standpoint, nuclear is obviously the best choice for the environment because like a, a, a liter of plutonium is the equivalent of 5,000 barrels of oil. It's extremely energy dense and good for the environment, mm -hmm. especially with these high-tech nuclear plants where you can reuse the thing four times over and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I've come to realize that from a physics standpoint, it's reliable. From a praxeology standpoint, it's not reliable because democracy is not reliable. Mm -hmm. Someone, if, if you build a, a nuclear power plant, uh, you, you have to plan ahead for 50 years. Like this, have to this has to produce uh, electricity for 50 years in order for the investment to be worth it. Uh, let's say that just an arbitrary number. And from a physics standpoint, there's no, no problem at all. You can fly an aeroplane into a, a, a nuclear power plant. Doesn't matter. It's made out of concrete. The, the plane blows up, but nothing happens to the power plant. As long as you don't build it in a, you know, earthquake zone or anything stupid like that. But from a, democracies change over the course of 50 years. Mm -hmm. There's no stable government for 50 years. Some, some stupid policy will come along and shut it down. Mm -hmm. so so that's why nuclear isn't reliable as long as we live in democracies unfortunately nuclear just isn't reliable enough <laughs> and i think the the solution to this as to everything else when it comes to energy and environmentalism the solution is of course bitcoin and 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 free private cities and private entities and like markets that can actually function in order for people to invest in in proper energy solutions and i love to see solar panels on on houses and buildings where, where it makes sense <laughs> to have them uh so but like in scandinavia you might as well just run a diesel generator in your garage it's probably better for the environment yeah well, so yeah it's 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 a um it's in a sense like um well, I just have this word truth just ringing through my head. And there are so many things that we're told to believe. Just trust me, trust the science, trust this story. Um, you know, the world's going to end and you need to listen to me in this case, Green, yeah. perhaps as an example, or, you know, Al, Al Gore was actually a huge influence on my life um, yeah. 15 years ago and the inconvenient truth. Yeah. And I just, I loved that. It was a great book. It really synthesized it. Um, but I never stood, take a, took a step back, took a step back and thought to myself, who gains from this? Yeah, no. What actually is going on behind the scenes here? And, yeah. and really what environmentalism has been turned into from what I see today, like the Green New Deal that was pushed relatively recently, just a massive government spending program with a whole load of, you know, um, laws, essentially. Yeah. It's not necessarily, as you say, 
you know, we've got a problem, we're going to solve it with a bit of private enterprise. It's like, it's wrapped up as innovation and good and everything, but really just yeah. a massive stimulus package of which the government will fritter the whole lot away. And is that going to solve any problems? I'm not so sure. Mm. Um, but it, it's a big old rabbit hole, that one in terms of, you know, questioning things. And that's perhaps Bitcoin itself. Yeah. Question Trust. everything. Yeah, that's really the, the, the result, isn't it? Just like you, you're allowed to ask questions. That's what I'm so excited about in embarking yeah. on this project to start a podcast in a Bitcoin only way, talking yeah. to people like yourselves. You know, this is my first one, absolutely pumped. <laughs> Let's debate. Trump. Let's ask questions. Let's talk exactly. about what might be going on rather than just like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, so and so from Harvard, who's got load of numbers behind his name, says this is what you should think. Okay, I think it. Yeah, trust the science is oxymoronic in that way. Science is about questioning, not about trusting. Correct. It's science the other way never around. True. You know, what's the right way of saying it? Um, it's, oh, it's, help me out the here. Map, the map can never be the territory. True. Except in Bitcoin. Because in Bitcoin, the map defines the territory. So, so yes. the, And this is, yeah. this is like connected to the truth machine. Bitcoin creates its own reality. And it is whatever the map says it is. Uh, and this is one of the core ideas of the book as well. It ties into uh, Bitcoin being the discovery of a new element, uh, a purely informational element. So I, I love this. I think there's a, a, a vastly underexplored part of the rabbit hole that in Bitcoin, knowing is owning. There's no difference between knowing your, your Bitcoin private key and owning those Bitcoin uh, connected to it. So, and in the, in the same way, mining finding the correct hash of a Bitcoin block is then you can claim the reward. And so finding it, uh, proving that you found it is finding it. Knowing is owning there too. And this, this is what makes it a reverse engineered element, which has no protons or neutrons because it can be beamed across the internet instantly. So it's a weightless ele informational element with an absolutely capped supply. It can bind energy and it takes a lot of energy to destroy it. So it has those properties, which, which all the other elements on the periodic table have as well. They, they all can bind uh, energy to some extent and they can all be destroyed by uh, a specific amount of energy. And it's the same for Bitcoin. Uh, so, so if you view it as the discovery of a new element, element zero, you, you find... Um, that that's yet another yet another lens to 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 view it which which is so profound that you can't stop thinking about it i heard yeah. you actually on a on a podcast recently talking about element zero yeah um, this is i have to give credit where credit's due because this is not my uh, original idea it comes from a guy called jörg Hem hemstorf who held a brilliant talk at the value of bitcoin conference in 2020 so okay. look that up if you haven't seen it. It's called The Last Money, his talk. Uh, and I'm, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I credit him in the book as well. And I, uh, uh, I wanted to explore that idea further. So that's why I, I wrote the chapter and uh, like tied it together with my other thoughts about. But about if, I, if I may, I mean, um, plagiarism don't copy your, you know, your, your school colleagues' work. You know, ooh, heaven forbid, you know, you copy someone's work in an <laughs> exam room. But being inspired by what other people say, do, write, believe is totally and utterly allowed. And 
Yeah. I can almost guarantee you that that talk, the last money that you watched and were inspired by, you've developed it one level further in your book. And I, I haven't yet read it and I will when it comes out. Yeah. Um, and I, I forget the name of the no guy. No one has. <laughs> made the presentation, the last money, but he'll be chuffed because that's yeah. exactly what he was trying to do, right? Was to spark, spark, um, you know, inspiration somewhere. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's the thing also in this space. Bitcoin makes you less egotistical in a sense, because, and this is tied to time preference as well, because like the idea is beautiful, not the person behind the idea. Mm. And that's what's so beautiful about Satoshi Nakamoto. He, that's the ultimate altruistic move to just fade away into oblivion, never taking credit for anything about the greatest idea in the last 10,000 years, maybe. <laughs> uh, however great Bitcoin is, uh, there's so crazy, a hard, hard to measure, but, but like he was completely, that's a completely egoless move to just, to just remove yourself from the equation. And it should, that should inspire, inspire us all because the, the ideas are beautiful. Uh, it's not about you, it's about the idea. And and it's so empowering when you when you when you start thinking about ideas that way because you you fall in love with them uh, uh, and falling in love with an idea is it's a very satisfying thing to do uh, because your mind wants to wander away and think mm -hmm. about things and why not think about a completely beautiful new idea that you know takes over. And what I'm loving, Knut, is the talking of love, but <clears throat> your story is um, its so compelling. You know, you, you, you are um, working these jobs, doing all these things. You didn't know Bitcoin was going to come along, but hey, no. suddenly it comes along and you just feel this urge to write about it. And three, four, five years later, or whatever it might be, this is what you're doing full time. Like you've fallen in love with an idea and like who doesn't want to have that experience happen to them? Uh, and now I guess your work is your play in a sense. Like you just, you know, you're, you're loving all this stuff. Um, yep. And it's a, it's a future I hope that a lot of people get to. And I think they will, you know, even if you're not completely in love or you're not necessarily writing about Bitcoin or creating podcasts or whatever, if you no. adopt it as your reserve currency and you suddenly have a deflationary asset on your balance sheet as an individual, within a cycle, you might not need to work for anyone else. So in some ways, exactly. everyone's being liberated from this kind of rabbit wheel of, of, yeah. of, of high time preference, kind of inflation-driven fear as, as, a, as a good word. Um, what I might do is just draw us back slightly to something that you mentioned at the very start, which was you were um, toying with the concept of being anonymous and you read about skin in the game and you've just touched on Satoshi and his or her or they's um, innovation and the ability to be so egoless and walk away yeah. from the the yeah. potential you know hero status for something such as this this discovery can you talk me a bit through how you thought about being anonymous not being anonymous what it meant to have skin in the game um because it's something i've toyed with a little bit as well and i i you know i'm using my name i'm happy to i think it's a good yeah. it's a good way to teach people but maybe i'm wrong um so i'd love to yeah, hear what yeah. your insight was there Maybe we're both wrong. We, we don't know. Uh, I mean, we're certainly more easy to find than uh, like a Hodlonort or, or Gigi. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, so many of my friends in the space are completely anonymous. Uh, 
mm. and you know it's it's quite impressive to to be able to make a, uh, a persona on on twitter uh, out of a completely anonymous account and just your tweets alone are what counts, <laughs> but mm. but I guess that's the same even if you put your name to it. If if you weren't known for anything else before Bitcoin, so, uh, but but it it's certainly a trade off, mm. and I think for some people they don't really need to have uh, skin in the game as much as other people do. I mean, for me, I feel like I'm at my best when I have something to lose. Uh, and for me, that was like throwing my name out there was one, mm. one of those uh, shortcuts to that. <laughs> uh, but, and there are many perks to being anonymous. Of course there are. Mm. Uh, if there's a big rundown on all Bitcoiners and if they start looking for us and, <laughs> you know, coming for us, then of course it's better to be anonymous. Mm. And for a guy like Satoshi, uh, of course it was better for him to be anonymous. Mm. Bitcoin wouldn't have been what it is if he wasn't. Mm. Uh, the, it's part of the design of the thing uh, or became part of it. You cannot know what intentions he had in the beginning or later. But and in a sense, that's, that's what I feel. Now, now I'm wandering off a bit, but that's how I feel about the uh you know that absolute scarcity may may not have been the intention but the intention was to solve the double spending problem mm -hmm. and in doing so absolute scarcity ensues uh, uh, it, like it it becomes a, a a part of solving the double spending problem so it's almost so, like a well, arguably or a side potentially effect. it's an unexpected externality to that yeah. problem solved. a side effect yeah um, because I, I also think that when you look at the state of the Bitcoin mining network today, the it, it's it's going to be the holy grail for the energy market. Like it, yeah. we need this. It's the the buyer of last resort. Like the amount of energy that gets wasted, it's extraordinary. The amount of energy that we're required to have at very specific times and not other times. Like it's 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 the perfect solution to what our grid has been asking for for however long it's been. That yeah. wouldn't have been in Satoshi's initial design, right? The the idea no. of the amount of computing power that would be required to keep the network going and secure it would suddenly become like the buyer of last resort for the entire now potentially electrified economy of the world. I mean, yeah, and it's functions something as that you would have thought about, or she, or they. No, no. Uh, well, <laughs> as said before, we cannot know. Uh, mm. Maybe it was a complete genius who thought of all of this stuff, but it's <laughs> unlikely. But in which uh, case, if, <laughs> uh, it functions as a suspension mechanism for renewables, basically, Correct. because you can you can uh, use up the excess energy, which can't be stored in batteries and can't be sent through the grid fast enough or far enough. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, well, we don't have to go in there. there there's so much to explain about why there Bitcoin is. is good for the environment. But the, I think the main takeaway is it incentivizes saving rather than spending, mm -hmm. and it reaches consensus without world wars. <laughs> mm. Which is a huge, a huge point. It's also underexplored as well. Yeah. Um, but Knut, listen, I've um, taken plenty of your time, and it's flown by. I couldn't be more appreciative yeah. of, um, of 
the quick response that you had to my initial message and spending time with me today to explain your thoughts. I, I look forward to reading your new book that's coming out soon. And um, I will, uh, well, I've already got one in the hard copy here. I've read the Kindle. It's on, it's on the next one's on the way. So I'll be making a, a small collection of them. Have an amazing time at, um, at Miami. And yeah, thank you again for your time. If there's anything that anyone is listening out there wants to know about yourself or where they can reach you, what would be the best way to do that? Most of my Bitcoin uh, content is on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm launching a website soon, but not quite yet. Uh, maybe in time for Miami, maybe not. But I'll be in Miami and I hope to see as many of you there as possible. I'll be in the bazaar uh, at two o'clock on the day two and three of the conference selling and signing books and t-shirts, hopefully. Uh, and I'll be doing a lot of other fun stuff in Miami too. I, I can't wait for that. Uh, you can pre-order my new book from uh, Consensus Network. You'll find it in my Twitter feed or you just search for everything divided, Bitcoin, everything divided by 21 million and my name and you certainly find it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to doing more, more of all of it. Uh, I mean, uh, you're saying that you're stealing my time and stuff, but I enjoy this as much as you do, or if if not even more. Yeah, uh, like it. so, so uh, yeah. I'll, and I love that my son found this these bluish LED lights that made me realize <laughs> that I could look like Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. The, the the chat at the start about the 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 guys going into shit coins and the dark side. Absolutely very apt. <laughs> Um, well, Knut, thanks for your time, and um, we'll catch up yeah. soon. I, by the way, I hate the new Star Wars movies, uh, as everyone else. <laughs> Good to know. I, I, I don't know if I've even watched the most recent one. Um, I, I, I was in, in terms of the sci-fi. Uh, have you watched the? Have you watched June? Yeah. Yeah. I watched June. That, I loved that recently. Yeah. That really got really? My, got me going. I look forward to watching the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's especially got me pumped for the sequel. Uh, like, but uh, yeah, from the same director, there's a, a a sequel to the Blade Runner movie, which was really good. Okay. So if you haven't watched that Blade Runner 2049 or something, that was okay. really good as well. I'll have a look. Yeah, yeah. He's a he's a director to look at. I I could spend an hour talking about movies. <laughs> too. Okay. Well, nice one. <laughs> let, let me click stop record. Cheers, mate. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>